All right, the Apostle Paul said, shall I come unto you with a rod (laughs) or with the spirit of love and of meekness? (laughs) You guys are going to get the rod this morning. Let's open our Bibles to two places. We're going to talk about the resurrection today, so obviously we're going to go to the book of Numbers, (laughs) chapter 17. Numbers chapter 17, and uh, we'll spend the bulk of our time in Numbers 17, but in your right hand, if you could, please get the book of Acts, the book of Handelinger, chapter 17, that'll be Acts chapter 17, we'll read just one verse there, and then we'll spend our time in Numbers chapter 17. And I'd like to preach to you a sermon this morning called the rod of the resurrection I thought about calling this proof of life but uh, that gets a little too morbid right that sounds like a kidnapping case when you have proof of life so we'll leave that out but the rod of the resurrection and uh, just to kick this off I want to give you a little bit of context in Acts chapter number 17 Paul is preaching to the Athenians and these are very educated people the philosophers of their day And all they do is sit around talking about the next new thing and some new idea. And they have an altar set up to the unknown God. And when Paul sees this, he's invited to preach. He gets up on Mars Hill and he preaches about the God that they don't know. And the God that created the world and created all of mankind of one blood. And uh, then he begins to talk about how we know amongst all the men and all the nations, how do we know which person to follow? How do we know which which religion is right, which God is right? How do we know? And in verse number 31, he says, Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And with that being said, might I ask you to bow your heads With me, let's close our eyes. Let's pray for a moment and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you this morning as we have an extra extra emphasis today on the resurrection. People are thinking about it maybe more than they often do. Lord, make it real to us today. What a joyous occasion it was over 2,000 years ago. Lord, when you rose again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming to die in our place. Thank you for being alive today and you're present here with us even now. Oh Lord, we want to enjoy your presence. Please speak to hearts today. Save sinners today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul, he concludes his message by saying that God is definitely appointed a day where he's going to judge the world in righteousness and he's going to do it by that man whom he's raised from the dead. When Paul is proving to this educated crowd of heathens that there is only one right way, the proof for that is that this man rose from the dead. That is what sets Christianity apart from all the other faiths, from all the other gods, from all the other religions, is that our founder died and did what no one else could do. He came back from the dead never to die again. And Paul, when he he says, listen guys, you can be sure that there is going to be a judgment. You can be sure that when you die, that's not all there is to you. Something happens after that. 
And you can be sure that the one that's going to judge you is the one that overcame death. So take your Bible, come to Numbers chapter 17. And we're going to take a look at a story here, I believe, that pictures very nicely the resurrection. Now, when you look around in the world today, there's so many different ideas about who God is and how to reach Him, how to be at, 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 at one with Him. Uh, let's get our numbers right. In the world, there are over a billion people that call themselves Christians. But you understand that's not the majority of the world. 1.1 billion people on the planet claim to be Hindu. Now you understand in the Hindu religion, they believe in what's called a Trimurti. Trimurti is very similar to what we would say in the Ienheit, but, or the Trinity. But they don't believe that the three are one. They believe in, in a triple deity that started everything. So there was Brahman. He's the head of it. There's Vishnu and there's Shiva. Those are the three main gods of Hinduism. Now, as you go on further, there are over 330 million other gods. But those are the main three. And the claim is that Vishnu came to this world in human form as Lord Krishna. Maybe you've seen them at airports with the head shaved and the orange robes dancing around giving flowers. Those are, uh, th those are the Krishnites. So Lord Krishna was evidently the human manifestation of Vishnu. Now the thing about Krishna is he died. And that's the last we've seen of him. <laughs> Buddhism. There are 488 million Buddhists in the world. That's about half a billion people in the world claim to follow Buddha. Buddha, the Buddha, Gautama Buddha, he lived in India. And, and what we would now consider Nepal, he did most of his teaching. He was a prince. He was a very influ grew up in a very influential family, obviously, had lots of money, access to lots of worldly things. And he did lots of horrible worldly things. And then at a certain age, I believe in his late teens, early 20s, he realized that the life he was living was useless and that he was wasting it on this worldly carnal pleasure. And he decided that the key to life is separating yourself from all of these worldly distractions. And he decided to devote his life to asceticism and poverty and, and just meditating and trying to get outside of yourself. He, had, he set up an entire uh, eight-step program to get to God and a noble path. The problem was, and I say get to God, I, I, really I should use a different word, to, to achieve inner peace. His idea of God is not that there was one ultimate being that created the world, nothing like that. Some see him as, as being a branch of Hinduism, actually. So the two kind of uh, are similar. 488 million of them in the world. They follow this idea thinking that that's the way to achieve righteousness. There are 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. 1.8 billion and that religion is growing quickly. I think you know the story. Muhammad in the year 620 went to the cave Hira and evidently met with an angel, the angel Gabriel. And that angel called him into the ministry and said God has chosen you as the leader and to speak to the Arabic people. And at first he thought that he was being tormented by unclean spirits. And uh, the, there's a hadith that says Muhammad tried to 
throw himself off of a cliff because he thought that he was possessed of devils. And then his wife calmed him down, Khadija, and said, no, 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 you're a great man. God is obviously calling you. So he eventually gave in to the call and began to speak. And when he would recite, he would say, Allah has said, and he would recite the words of Allah. The word Quran means recitation. It's his recitation of the words of, of what he called God. 1.8 billion people follow this religion. Mormonism, I don't know if you know much about it. There's only 14.8 million of them. But there are Mormons in this town. You might see them walking through the mall or down the road wearing white shirts. They're always younger men. They have a tie on. They don't use vehicles. They have to ride bicycles. They have a little black nameplate, a little badge they have to wear. So these men in, in their early 20s, they are called elder so-and-so. That's just part of their church. And a man named Joseph Smith in the early uh, 1800s, uh, he claimed that the angel Moroni met with him in upstate New York and revealed to him. It took about three years to find it, but eventually the angel showed him where golden plates had been hidden. And he dug these golden plates up. It was written in ancient Egyptian texts that no one else could understand. God gave him the gift of tongues so that he could understand these, this lost language. He translated the golden plates and now they have their own, call it what you will, I will say their own Bible. They call it the Book of Mormon. Among Christian denominations, this is one of the fastest growing in all of the world. Mormonism is. So Joseph Smith, he was their leader. How do we know which one's right? How do we know which one to follow? Hinduism, much old, the oldest religion in the world. Buddhism, it came about in about... Uh, uh, let's say 500-ish B.C., before Christ. It's been around a while. Islam, fastest-growing religion. What about them? How do we know which one's right? Well, in the book of Numbers, we have a similar predicament. In Numbers chapter 16, Moses has been leading the people through the wilderness, and there's three men that rise up, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And they lodge a complaint with management, and they say, you guys, Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon you. You think that you're the only ones that God can work through. All of us are holy. God can use any of us to lead. We shouldn't just follow you. We should listen to everyone should have a voice in this. And Moses said, guys, why are you not satisfied with just the priesthood? They were Levites. He said, why is it you want to take the whole thing over? He said, tell you what, let's have a contest, see who's right, get a censer, put some incense on it. Let's meet in front of the tabernacle tomorrow and let's see who's right. We'll ask God to prove it. Well, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram had found 250 supporters for their mutiny. And they all gathered at the door of the tabernacle the next morning. Moses had prayed about it. And Moses announced, he said, here's how God's going to prove who's right. If these men die natural deaths, deaths, then I'm not called of God. But if God will do something strange and new today, this never happened before. If these men die this strange death, you know that I'm called. I predict that the earth is going to open up, swallow these men, and close back up. Now, don't you know Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they're nudging each other going, yeah, right. <laughs> this isn't still Fontaine. We don't have... <laughs> We're not going to have a pit open up, right? <laughs> That's not going to happen. And they're nudging each other, making jokes, and about that time... You know, the earth starts to shake a little bit, and they think, oh, um, um, and 
Now the Bible says the earth opened her mouth, I don't know, and swallowed them up alive and they went straight down into the pit and closed her mouth back up. Now right about that time, that's, that's when everybody else would, should, should be repenting, right? Say, so, oops, those are the right ones. But just to make sure everybody got the point, fire then proceeded out from the Lord and burned up the 250 men that were supporting the mutiny and they were the ones holding the censers in their hands. So all that's left is just the censers. The men have been burned to ashes. So they collect the censers and they, they use that brass and put it on the altar so it's a memorial to the people of Israel that Moses and Aaron were the, were the right people. They were the ones called of God to lead the nation. You know what the people did right after that? Very shortly after the fire fell and the earth opened, they said, Moses... Aaron, you have killed the people of God. God. God just, you really think Moses opened up the earth? You think Moses brought forth the fire? Despite the clear evidence, people were still not understanding that those are the men God chose. Say, so how is it that a half a million Buddhists and a a million Hindus and almost two million Muslims, how can they not get it right? There's such clear proof. It's not a matter of how good the evidence is. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And that brings us to chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod, according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes, according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods, write thou every man's name upon his rod. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. Thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose shall blossom. And I will make to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel whereby they murmur against you. God said, all right, we're going to set up a, another contest. Since the earth opening and the censors, since that didn't cut it for you, I'm going to do something extra special just to lay to rest forever the argument as to who the proper high priest is. Now, I hope you get my little wink there with that. Hebrews chapter 3 says Jesus is our high priest. This is evidence for who God's chosen high priest is. Get a rod, one from each leader, put him in the tabernacle, and the, the one that blossoms, he's the guy. Verse 6. So here's the contest. It's been set up, and the first thing we're going to see is the contest is meant for all. It's meant for all. Moses spake in verse 6 unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece for each prince one, according to their father's houses even 12 rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Every prince got to bring a rod. Buddha, bring your rod. Krishna, bring your rod. Muhammad, bring your rod. Joseph Smith, bring your rod. Uh, your ancestors, bring a rod. Witch doctor, bring a rod. I don't care what it is that's that has convinced you that that's the correct path to take, let them bring a rod. Now, what is the rod that they must bring? Well, in, in number 17, it was a piece of dead wood. It was just a stick, right? Just a dead piece of wood. However, 
This, this, this branch here, this rod, you see it, it's dead. It's, it's been broken away from its tree and just like a human being when he dies, he's cut off from life. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, when Jesus died, he was cut off from the land of the living, just like this was cut off from the tree. In order to enter this contest, you have to die. And that's what all of these other leaders did. All the witch doctors, they all die. Your ancestors, that's why we call them ancestors, they're dead. <laughs> Joseph Smith, he died. Muhammad died. Vishnu, or uh, Krishna rather, died. Buddha died. They're all, they're dead. But if Jesus is going to enter this contest, that's why he had to come into the world as a human so that he could die and enter the contest. So the contest is open for anyone who would like to enter, but the entry fee is death. That's how you participate. Now, you need to understand, everybody's welcome to throw out their opinion and say, I think this guy's right. I think this religion is right. You know why most people sitting in this room claim to be Christian? It's not because you've fallen under conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's because you were raised that way. You're, you're a Christian by convenience. You're a Christian by culture, but not a Christian by conviction. You, you've claimed the name but really there's no life in you. And it's not enough to just have been raised in a Christian home. That might influence you in a Christian direction, but that doesn't make you a Christian. It's open for all. In verse 7, we're going to see that the contest was also very fair. Very fair. It says, Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. To go into the tabernacle, no one was allowed in there except the high priest. Now, at this point, all of the rods are given to Moses and he alone, not even Aaron. Only Moses goes in, lays the rods down, and walks out, and that's it. No one else is allowed to go in there. The Levites were stationed outside of the tabernacle, so no one could slip through. So the rods have been sequestered. They've been hidden away, and no one can rig it. No one can do, get in there and, and move things around and bring in a fake rod, nothing like that. Do you know when Jesus died, they laid him in a tomb? And just so that you know the contest is fair, abundantly fair, God, by, by making people have to pay with an entry fee of death, well, that means that they can't rig it themselves. They're dead. Furthermore, when Jesus died, he let the enemy come and seal the tomb. Joseph and Nicodemus put, laid his body in the tomb but then the soldiers came and, and Pilate allowed the Jews to seal the tomb with a massive stone and they sealed it and set a watch so that no one could break through and steal the body. There's no doubt that this resurrection was not rigged. I don't know, any of you know the name David Copperfield? Do we know that name? I grew up watching David Copperfield. Man, that was just cool. I watched him walk through the Great Wall of China. Did any of you see that? Bless your heart, most of you have seen the reruns of it or YouTube. <laughs> I watched it for the first time when it really happened live. He walked through the Wall of China, through the wall. Whoa, what? How did a man walk through the wall? We've all seen magicians, you know, do the cutting of the body in, in half in the box. and then, You know, some of, those, some of those tricks you look at it and go, how did he pull that off? I am so glad that they later came out with a show that revealed how all these magic tricks are done. 
It's impressive the work that they have to put into tricking people. But guys, the contest that God set up to prove who is the right one, who is the one that will, that will judge us on that final day, who is it? There's no doubt that this contest couldn't have been rigged. You can't roll a stone in front of it, let the enemy guard it, and then walk yourself out of it. This contest is most definitely not rigged. This is not a Copperfield thing. This is not smoke and mirrors. This is a fair contest. Take a look at verse 8. It says, It came to pass that on the, on the morrow Moses went in, into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Now, guys, could you imagine if I just take the stick down for a second and then pull it back out, boom, there's leaves on it and fruit coming out. That would be, that's press stick, by the way, that's not almonds. <laughs> that, that would be a pretty, pretty awesome sight, yes, a wunderwerk. That would definitely get your attention. Moses brings the rods out, 12 rods, 12 equally dead pieces of wood, and one of them has come back to life. One of them was cut off from life and now it's come back to life with seemingly no physical life source it wasn't a physical life source he has a source beyond life it's supernatural did you know that when Jesus died they buried him in a garden did you know that his tomb was in a garden John chapter 19 verse 41 says it was a it was a garden and it was a brand new sepulcher a rich man's sepulcher by the way Joseph of Arimathea which fulfilled Isaiah 53, verse 8, that said Jesus would be laid in the tomb of a rich man. And he was. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus died right about this time of the year. This is springtime in Israel. And he was buried in a garden. I have a funny feeling that as they put the body in the tomb, the flowers begin to bloom. <laughs> this is the time in Israel when, when everything begins to bloom. Perfect picture, what we're reading in verse 8. Perfect picture of the resurrection. The seed has fallen into the ground and when, it, when the seed falls into the ground and dies, the Bible says it can bring forth fruit. In verse number 9, it says, Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord unto all the children of Israel. Do you see how fair this is? Moses didn't go into the tabernacle, walk back out and say, yeah, it was Aaron's rod, take my word for it. He didn't do that. He brought the rod out into public. When Paul preached to Agrippa, he preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and he said these things were not done in a corner, meaning it was done publicly. Jesus appeared to many witnesses after his resurrection. It wasn't just Peter or Paul. It was James, Peter, the twelve, the ladies at the tomb. They saw him. And then 500 people at once saw him. You can't say, well, maybe it was just a hallucination. You can't have seven or eight different hallucinations, group hallucinations, all coming out with the same fact. That just doesn't happen. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul, people say that all these other, all the other disciples, they thought they saw Jesus because they were so heartbroken and heartseer and they missed their, their leader. Paul hated this man. Paul didn't ever want to see Jesus. But on the road to Damascus, the risen Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And it was that appearance of the resurrected Jesus that got his attention and, and completely changed his life. 
This is some solid public evidence done on multiple occasions. The Bible says Moses brought out the rods from before the Lord unto all the children of Israel and they looked and took every man his rod. You know, as they took these rods, I'm sure that the prince of the tribe of Dan, the prince of the tribe of Naphtali, prince of the tribe of Asher, you know, they took their rod and said, well, not this time around. <laughs> I guess it's not me. You know, they looked at the rod and you know what they realized? It's still dead. By myself, I'm not going to find life. I take the rod in my hand and I look at it and I think, hmm, yep, just as dead as the, dead as the moment I yanked it off the tree. And if I look at my own life, you know what I can see? A life without Christ is just dead. A life without a true, genuine, personal relationship with Christ where you understand that without Him dying on the cross and paying for your sins, without Him rising again and giving you life, you are nothing but dead in sins and trespasses. So what does it mean to be dead in sins? That means you have a life without God dead in sins these men they looked at him one by one these men took their rods and said well I'm no better than that guy just dead if I want to get to God I'm going to have to follow the guy that has the living rod I'm going to have to follow the guy that had a rod, a rod that was resurrected and came back to life if I'm going to get to God I got to follow him that's the right high priest the guy with the rod who has life you know what we do instead? We, we say, well, you know what? I got this dead rod here. Boy, it looks kind of bad. It looks barren. I'm not bringing forth any fruit. You know, I think I'll go to church. Because I see some other people that are Christian. They go to church. So I'll, I'll go to church. And, you know, that, that, you know, maybe I'll even give some money to the church. I heard Christians do that every now and then. and That'll, that'll make me look good. That'll make me look good. Hey, you know what? I'll read the Bible a little bit. Yeah, man. This is starting to look like a real sure enough living rod. Look at that. It's just as dead as a doornail, but it looks good. You know what? I can sing some of those songs. I love Hillsong. Oh, man. There, I got that. Yeah, man. I bought their CD. I must be Christian. You know what? Yeah, man. Here we go. I'm going to become a deacon in the church. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Francois. We're in, sorry. And, 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 then, and then, you know, we carry around our rod. We say, look, see, I got life. What you, what you don't realize is when this rod goes through a little bit of trouble, <laughs> all of a sudden you realize some of, these, some of these pretenses, some of these things aren't as real as, as they look on the outside. No life. Oh, they might come to church for a long time. Can't get rid of them. <laughs> Sometimes you got to rip it off. <laughs> but eventually, eventually, when all, the, when all the show, when the smoke and mirrors is done, you're just dead. It's the same rod that went into the tabernacle and came out dead. 
You can dress it up however you want. But at the end of the day, you're a dead rod. You're a dead piece of wood. Now what you need to do is come to the one that, that died on a dead piece of wood. <laughs> you need to come to the one that not only entered the contest through death, but then won the contest by rising again from the dead. When the ladies came to the tomb, they saw the angel seat, sitting upon the rock. The angel rolled the stone away. You know why he did that? It wasn't to let Jesus out. Jesus was already gone. The angel rolled the stone away so that everybody else could look in and go, He is gone. Public proof. And the angel was sitting upon the rock. I like that. I like that, just sitting up there on the rock. And when the ladies show up, he said, Hey, what you, got, what you ladies looking for? Oh, we, we're looking for Jesus. Jesus? You're looking for Jesus? Now, why would you be doing that? Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. He told you he was going to rise. He said, don't you remember what he told you in Galilee? He said that after three days and three nights, he'd rise again. So what in the world are you doing looking for him in a tomb? This is the last place he would be. If you believe what he said, then you know that you go look for him elsewhere. But in a tomb, why? Why seek ye the living among the dead? He's risen. He's risen. And then in verse number 10, the Lord said unto Moses, Bring Aaron's rod again before the testimony to be kept for a token against the rebels. And thou shalt quite take away their murmurings from me that they die not. So this contest was for all. This contest was fair. And this contest was final. He said, there, now I've proved it. Now I want you to take the proof. And I want you to bring it back into the tabernacle and I want you to leave it there. And anytime there's a murmuring, if anybody ever doubts who the high priest is supposed to be, then you can go in and look at the proof. The proof has been preserved. So the apostles, everywhere they went, they said, why are you a Christian? Why are you following this Jesus guy? He's alive because he rose again. That's what the Bible tells us in the book of Acts. Everywhere they went, they preached the resurrection. All the other religious leaders had died. Jesus has that in common with Buddha, with Krishna, with Muhammad. They all died, but there's only one that came back from it. And he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You can't keep a good man down. He says, here, I'll, I'll prove it. And then the apostles, they go through, how do they prove to people they need to be Christian? Jesus rose from the dead. And then they write down the story of how they came to that conclusion. You know what God did? He preserved it. And any time there's any doubt, any time there's murmuring, why should we do this? Why not that way? How is it that this is the only way to God? Why, why shouldn't we just let Hindus be Hindus and Muslims be Muslims? Why should we try to tell people that they need to be saved and born again? Because it's been preserved. We have the proof. It's not just folklore. It's not just a oh, fro story. We have the evidence preserved. Now look at how they reacted in verse number 11. And Moses did so as the Lord commanded him, so did he. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. That's called panicking. <laughs> For those of you that aren't familiar with it. 
Verse 13, whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Well, I think you already are consumed with dying. <laughs> That's all you can talk about. We die, we perish, we perish. We're all going to die, we're going to die. Well, you can understand why they're saying this. In Numbers 13, they sent the spies to the land of Canaan. And they brought back an evil report and said, there's no way we can overcome the giants. Even though God said we will, we can't. So because of their unbelief, God got very upset with them and said, okay, for the next 40 years, you're going to wander around in the wilderness and everybody over the age of 20 is going to die. I'll save all the younger children alive because you said that all the young children will die. They won't, but all of you will. And then in Numbers 15, Moses gives them various precepts and then you have a very peculiar story. God says if somebody sins through ignorance, then there's a sacrifice you bring for that and that can be forgiven. But if somebody sins presumptuously, that is they know better and do it anyway, God has very little patience for that. So a man went out on the Sabbath day and started picking up sticks. On the Sabbath day. You got six other days to pick up sticks. And what did he do? Went out on the one day God said you have to rest. Purposely. He knew that wasn't right. He did it anyway. Just like a lot of us, we know what we're doing is wrong and we do it anyway. Moses went in and says, Lord, what do we do? And God said he knew better. We're going to lay a precedent here. Bring him before the congregation and put him to death. He died for picking up sticks. But he did it in direct contradiction to what God had just said. Walk 40 years, everybody die, the whole generation. Next chapter, die for the sticks. Chapter 16, earth opens up, swallows up three rebels, closes up, 250, fire falls. You know what the people did? They said, Moses, you killed the people of God. God interrupted. If you read Numbers 16, at the end of it, God interrupted and said, enough, I've had enough enough I'm upset with these people I I just proved to them who the right guy is how are they not getting it and the Bible says wrath came out from the Lord you know what happened a plague started right then a disease started spreading you talk about brutal this is something uh, the bubonic plague has nothing on this the plague started and immediately Moses looked at Aaron and said run Aaron run Go get a censer, put some incense, make an atonement at the altar. Maybe God will have mercy. Aaron takes off running as fast as he can. He gets that censer. He runs back to the altar and he, he puts it on there. By the time Aaron ran there and got back, 14,700 people had died. And the Bible says Aaron was standing between the dead and the living. So it, it, it all depended on how fast Aaron could run. And as soon as he made it back to the altar, boom, that's where, that was the cutoff line. 14,700, what, in 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Whew. Can you understand now why they say, we die, we perish, we all perish, we're all going to die? He said, how is God ever going to be merciful with a sinful group of people like us? Why would God ever have mercy on somebody like me? All I can expect is death. All I deserve is death. Amen. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve. 
Why should God have mercy on a people like us who, who not only accidentally, not only on our bad day, but even when we know better, we still do it. Why would God be merciful to us? We're consumed with dying. Have you ever compared? There's two books in the Bible that are specifically mentioned. In Genesis 5, you read about the book of Adam, the book of the generations of Adam. Can I show them to you real quick? Would that be all right? I'd like to show you this. Can you look at Genesis 5? I was just going to tell it, tell it to you, but let me show it to you. Look at Genesis 5. Genesis chapter 5, verse number 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. So we're going to tell the story of Adam now. Well, let's see how it goes if you are in Adam. Now, do you, does everybody understand that terminology? In Adam means you're, you're physically born, but you're not born again. You're just in Adam. Okay. If you're in Christ, then you're born again. So these are the people in Adam. Verse 5, look at, look at the last three words of verse 5. And he died. Do you see that? Look at verse 8, last three words. And he died. Look at verse 11, last three words. And he died. Look at verse 14, and he died. You know what you're going to find? He died, he died, he died, he died, he died. E Enoch, Enoch didn't get to enter the contest. Enoch never died, which shows you that a rapture is possible. A vechrapen can happen. Somebody can be taken to heaven without dying. But that's an exception to the rule. The rule is, in Adam, everybody dies. Dead, 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 so dead. Yeah? Dead. That's the book of Adam. The book of the generations, plural, of Adam. Dead, dead, dead. Look at Matthew chapter 1. You see, in Adam, we're consumed with death. We die. We perish. We all perish. We're consumed with dying. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1. Now let's compare it with the last Adam. That, that's how the Apostle Paul designated it. There was the first Adam, and then there's the last Adam, who's Jesus. Matthew 1 and verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Do you see the singular there? You know, there's a difference. There's a difference. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now watch this, verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Judas begat, verse 4, begat, begat, begat. Verse 5, begat, begat, begat. Do you see what's going on? When you beget someone, you're giving life. In the book of Adam, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. The book of Jesus, and he gave life, and he gave life, and he gave life. I know that all of these men died. I get that. I get that. But none of their deaths are mentioned. Not in Matthew 1. Because when you're telling the story of the book of the generation of Jesus, he gave life, he gave life, he gave life. So the Apostle Paul says, as in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. My question to you this morning, have you ever received new life from Jesus Christ? Are you born again? It's not enough that you were raised in a church that calls itself Christian. Have you personally asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Have you ever acknowledged to Him, Lord, I'm nothing but a dead rod. 
I can't bring forth fruit unto you. I can't live with you. I can't live eternally. I have no way of producing life in and of myself. I want to trust you and your son because you've proven to me he's the right one to follow. Please save me. If you've never done that, friend, today, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. What does it mean to be born again? To receive new life. When you were born the first time, you received life. To be born again, receive new life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I'm the only right one because I won the contest. My rod bloomed and blossomed and brought forth fruit. Now, if you want to have life and bring forth fruit unto God, come to Christ. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Caleb will play something softly. Can I ask you to do me a favor this morning? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Think about your rod. Look at it. Is it dead or alive? Because if you're trusting what you're doing, that's a dead rod. But if you accept Christ, you get grafted into Him. And now the rod can bring forth blossom, bear fruit. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Are you saved, sir, ma'am? Are you saved? Say, well, I'm a member of a different church. That, that's, not, that's not the topic. We're not asking you to follow a church. We're asking you to follow the one that rose from the dead. Church can't give you life. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you've never asked Jesus Christ to save your soul, I'm inviting you this morning to do that. Would you do that, friend? Would you be willing to say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I knew better and I did it wrong. And I don't deserve to live with you forever. But I know Jesus died in my place. And I believe He rose again. And He's alive forevermore. Lord, please save me. Would you be willing to do that this morning? Would you commit your heart, your life, your soul to Christ this morning? Say, God, you've given me enough proof. I see it clearly. I know who I should follow. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, but this morning you'd like to do it, now no one's looking. It's just between me, you, and God. Would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? All I'm going to do is pray for you. Ask God to help you. Would you be willing to do that, please? Anybody say, preacher, pray for me. I've, I'd like to make that decision today. I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. Anyone say, preacher, pray for me. I've been coming to church my whole life, but I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. Anybody like that? You know what we ought to do? There's a lot of saved people here today. You know what you ought to do? Take this 
rod of the resurrection and go show someone, look at this. He was dead, but now he's alive. Go tell someone. Father, I want to thank you this morning for giving us all the proof we need. Lord, you made such a fair contest for all, for all. Death is common to all of us. What a wonderful way to prove to the world who the right high priest is. Lord, thank you for being so merciful to us. We don't deserve to have life with you. But how, how wonderfully sweet it is. Lord, I can look at a life that was dead and useless. And I can see what you've done in it. Father, I want to pray for those here today. Please, God, if there are some that are not saved, maybe scared to raise their hand. They've been dressing themselves up with the leaves of righteousness, but they've never been born again. Please, God, save that soul today. Please. For the rest of us, Lord, we're so thankful to be in Christ. God, give us courage and boldness and zeal to go and show someone that the rod has bloomed. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this world and making the sacrifice for us. Thank you for the great love wherewith you love us. Father, would you please dismiss us with your blessing. We look forward to hearing again from you tonight. Please, God, please fellowship with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.